Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. Of all the things that people could be passionate about, isn't chocolate one of the most obvious? Well, I confirmed that in my conversation this week with Jill Baskin, the Chief Marketing Officer for Hershey's. Now, she has the privilege of bringing joy to everyone every day through Hershey's products, and I'm sure if you've thumbed through the aisles at your local grocery store recently, you've seen some of the new and innovative products that they've brought to market. But they also do a heck of a lot when it comes to building community and harnessing the stories of those passionate consumers, and they do get passionate. We go over a couple stories in this podcast today, which just go to show the level of fanaticism that some people have with Hershey's. And it's not just in consumption, it's also in spreading that joy in Hershey's. She's, of course, leverages that and amplifies it wherever it can. We also, towards the end of this interview, talk a lot about things that Jill learned along the way in her career to this point. And though it isn't necessarily on the topic of authenticity and marketing, I'm going to include it because it is probably my favorite of any podcast when it comes to the topic of professional development, knowing yourself lessons and advice. And I know we're all about advice, especially towards the end of these interviews. So keep an ear out for that because I genuinely really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to let you get to it. That's going to be, I guess, about 30 minutes from now. So uh, sit back, relax, maybe open a chocolate bar and listen in to my interview with, from Hershey's, Jill Baskin. All right, everybody, I'm here with Jill Baskin from Hershey. Jill, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Happy to do it. I uh, want to talk about so many different things happening with Hershey. We happen to be sitting across the street from the chocolate world. We are. And <laughs> what, what a nice couple of last months for, for you personally, recently named finalist for a Creative and Storytelling Award from the CMO Club a couple of months ago, listed as in the top five most innovative CMOs in the world by Business Insider. It's been quite a, been quite a time. It has. I agree. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, we are here at Advertising Week, and you have a couple of sessions upcoming, so I want to get there in a second, but let's start with this. Can you tell me about your journey to this point at Hershey over the last few years? Well, I've only been at Hershey for about two years now. I think in about a week, I hit my two-year anniversary. Um, I came to Hershey uh, from a food background at Mondelez and Kraft. But the journey at Hershey's been really interesting. I came and was asked to uh, basically organize the entire department. And also, um, I saw an opportunity to create an in-house agency. So that's sort of been the journey is both getting all the right talent in the department and then, in addition, um, setting up an agency. Got it. Okay. So lots of organizational stuff happening over these yes. last two years. And uh, I'm going to talk. Going to get back to that in just a second. But let's start with these panels and keynotes that you're having here at Advertising Week because uh, I know a lot of it is going to be around the subject of female empowerment, mentors that you've had. You want to talk to me a little bit about the Real Housewives first? <laughs> well, I gave you a little peek at my misdirect um, when we talked earlier. Uh, yeah, I'm giving a, a keynote speech and... Um, uh, I'm going to talk about all the advice that I got from female mentors. Uh, I'm going to start by talking about some of the women who I've worked with in my career that are some of the most amazing women in marketing, like Dana Anderson, Irene Rosenfeld, Michelle Buck, current CEO of Hershey. Uh, I'm going to talk about how they, of course, are influential in my life. However, the real advice and I mean the real advice, has come from the real housewives. And I'm going to uh, talk about all of the advice that I've gleaned about leadership from watching 
Real Housewives, the Real Housewives franchise, um, of which I'm particularly addicted to it. Yeah, I can imagine it's an addictive show. <laughs> and this will be coming out after that keynote. So yes. how about a couple nuggets for maybe some pieces of advice from those housewives that you'd like to that, well, that guide you apparently over these <laughs> last two years and maybe more? Well, I think there are a couple. Um, one is um, uh, Luann Delaseps. Of course, we know her as the Countess That's Luann right. Delaseps. Right. I, I knew that. And I'm oh, a, you you know, even a 27-year-old <laughs> male who doesn't watch Real Housewives. I knew Luann Delaseps. Yes, of course. Um, we still call her Countess, even though she lost her Countess title when okay. she divorced the Count. But um, I really cite that she has grit. I mean, this is a woman who on national television has fallen down drunk, has... Um, gotten married, divorced in seven months. She has um, been arrested, gone to rehab twice, and yet there is always a second act for everyone. She is now a cabaret star. So, so again, I think grit is an important, uh, uh, important uh, virtue for people to have, that ability to um, fall down, but you know, get back up, dust yourself off, and move on. That's right. Well, it's a great piece of advice and a great value to have. Um, let's talk about a couple of values that you hold either from the housewives or not as you've been building uh, this team, organizing the brand and doing your part to build the brand as well over the last two years. What are some of the key values that you hold with you maybe in terms of management style or the way that you want to drive the brand creatively? But I'd, lo I'd love to hear some of that. Well, I think for me, um, a couple of things. One is just authenticity. Um, right. I think um, being who you are and living your values and having that come across, I think as a leader is super important. Um, I think that uh, not taking yourself all too seriously is important too. Um, we've done a lot at Hershey to bring our group together. As I said, I, I faced a real organizational challenge when I arrived. Groups were all in, sitting in different places and really disparate and bringing them together in a in a sense of camaraderie and um, enjoyment of the job was important and um, I don't think you can undervalue that of a team working together sort of seamlessly all towards the same goal and part of that is um, being willing to laugh at yourself you know fall down make a few mistakes um, Maybe I do take a lot more from the Countess than I say, uh -huh. um, but it really brought the team together. And I think we've, it, we've shown it by how much work we put out and how um, focused we've been. Yeah. Well, I, I, from that, what's, what's an example of some of the great work that Hershey's done that uh, particularly stands out to you? Well, I think a few things. Um, uh, one is that we, uh, I think, have been sort of slain in social. I think that the Reese's brand in particular has found their real voice and ability to um, drive craving, which is what we're all about. Sure. Um, I think Hershey, we, we launched a whole new campaign, um, and uh, it has just um, caused the brand to surge. I mean, we're really growing now for the first time in years. So I think those are two big things that we've done, um, but countless others. Like starting the agency, we're doing a lot of our social and digital in-house. Um, in our media team, we've uh, developed all new media strategies, and that's proving to be very successful for us, too. Now, bringing all of that in-house, it's a very popular uh, sort of uh, discipline at the moment. I don't know too much about how that works tactically, how you organize that. I'm sure that was just another thing to add to the list of what you had to do organizationally upon coming in. Was there any friction to bringing that in-house? Was it a generally smooth transition? I want to know about that. Um, 
Well, it you know, some of it always threatens your agencies, which will always be our partners. I'm very committed to keeping strong agencies working with us, but I think there is a lot of work you can bring in-house, and I think how you... Um, delicately walk that line of what work will go outside and what work will come inside uh, is important to just keep your partners um, aware of what you're doing, um, very transparent, and um, work at what sort of each of you does best. Yeah. Let's go back to authenticity. That was the first thing that you had mentioned in the, in the values you've been carrying with you. How do you define authenticity for Hershey's or what does it mean to you? What it means to me is that you have one life you know you are the same whoever you're talking to yeah um and i think that for me that's authenticity is that you don't ever have to pretend to be someone you aren't got it and i guess what do you think that maybe cpg uh the industry broadly gets right about that and and where do you think there are gaps where do you think that there's opportunity for the industry to become a little more true to themselves that's a tough question. I'm not sure I know on other CPG companies. I can sort of only speak for myself. Like I, I feel like I like to tell authentic stories about our brands, um, and to find. I'm a planner at heart. It's my background, and I like to get down to sort of what is the absolute essence of a brand. And I will say that Hershey made me do that more than any other brand I've worked on, because um, Hershey, the company, the whole um, portfolio of brands, because candy. It's an interesting um, category. It is so simple. Everyone knows what to do with candy. Yeah. You see it, you eat it. So getting to what is the heart of that brand, what it truly is for people, is probably more important in candy than in any other category I've worked in. And by that, I mean other categories often require um, an explanation. What's the product? What's the product benefit? What yep. is all this? Candy, you don't need to do that. And right. it was sort of eye-opening to me. Yeah. I have to admit, you meant you talked about Reese's. That's probably my favorite at the moment of the Hershey's uh, line. And I want to jump into those who love Hershey's products so much and how specifically you're, you're creating community around that. You talked a little bit about the great work that Reese's has done recently in this space, finding their voice on social. But what are some of the ways broadly in which Hershey is really building that community of, of cravers? Well... We do a lot of fun things, you know, and some of them aren't even at scale, I suppose, but they get around. And uh, for instance, we had a, we, our sales team spotted a car that was driving around Nashville that was covered in her, in uh, Reese's um, like labels and uh, like around the outside of the car, Yeah, the entire outside of the car, every inch of it. Really? And so, and a couple of people had seen it and sent us pictures. They'd grab uh, snapshots of it and yeah, sent right. it to us. So we decided we were going to go out and find that guy yeah. and reward him. <laughs> so we put billboards up all over Nashville with the picture of his car and said, if you know this person, have him contact us. That's funny. And it became a whole story that then cover, got covered by the media. And um, we love stories like that where we can reward somebody who loves us. It turns out it was around Christmas time. He has a Christmas tree completely decorated in Reese's. No way. Yes. <laughs> So, of course, we showed pictures of that, and that went out on all of our social channels. And, right. and it really, you know, creates a little um, buzz. Now, is it, you know, scalable like our advertising is? No. Right. But um, I do think it creates community. Yeah, I think so, too. That's but the most delicious trimming of a tree. Exactly. I could imagine, <laughs> you know. Um, so then, all right, 
at scale, that sort of thing, probably not the most viable. But is there a middle ground between those singular experiences that a lot of investment goes into and the perhaps on, on social, which is not as personalized, but definitely scaled tactics? Is there a middle ground there for Hershey or is there an opportunity to get to that middle ground? That's an interesting question. Um, I think that the the middle ground is the the first idea, like where you just see something in culture, getting it to go viral is probably the middle ground. I don't know that there is a middle ground. I think it's that one of them just goes big, you know, that one that's small goes big, which is what we hope for. So that's why we do um, the Nashville guy. We do um, various things all during the year on on most of our brands, we're looking for stories like that and we hope they go big. I think that's probably the middle ground. I'm not sure there is something between sort of earned, you know, just a classic earned moment and then scalable social anymore. Cause that, you know, we don't do organic posts. I mean, that just is not even worth the money it takes to develop one. They aren't going anywhere. So, um, so I don't know that there's a middle ground. The middle ground is when something takes off. Got it. Well, I'd love to know some of these other stories. I'm sure there are, I mean, I know that there are thousands and millions probably of stories told all over the world every day about people enjoying Hershey's products. What are some of the other ways in which you're able to to capture, but then circulate those back out into the world to show, hey, these are the cravings that we love and you should see this too. And, you know, maybe secretly you should emulate that. (laughs) Well, it's sort of the basis for our Hershey campaign. Um, We, our North Star for our Hershey campaign was Bob. He lives in Iowa. Um, several people had sent us the story uh, about how Bob shares uh, 12 king-size chocolate bars every day in his town. He's 94 years old. He walks around, he walks to the um, store, he buys his 12 bars, and then he hands them out in town. Um, we thought that was so charming, and it truly became my North Star for the campaign as we were developing it. Um, we knew that people share Hershey bars. They're naturally made to share. You know, they break off. In of course. The, what we call pips. Um, that's what you call the. That's what you call. I the never little knew square. that. Yeah. All right. And, a little trivia um, for you guys listening in. <laughs> they're called pips. Pips. And uh, uh, so, when we saw that, we just felt like it was just such a natural. And um, we made Bob the centerpiece of our PR launch, but he's also in our ads. And I will tell you, lots of people said to me, oh, "You're going to put a 94-year-old in your ads? It's not our target. It's not our consumer. It's not." I said, yeah, we're going to put him in because he's charming. People will love him. And in fact, people did love Bob. Yeah. Um, So from that authentic story, we've now developed several other stories and and taken those too. So there are two guys, Ahmed and Mustafa, who were Rutgers students that handed out bars with um, positive messages on them. These just occur, but we make them into commercials. Yeah. So at scale, we're using some of these, what we call Hershey Acts. Right. Hershey Acts. Okay. Well, that makes complete sense. And I th- I would think that like even if I, who am probably more closer to your core demo that you're going after than a 94-year-old, saw that, if nothing else, I mean, it would certainly inspire like nostalgia for maybe when I was given a Hershey bar as a child from a grandparent or some, yeah. you know, somebody from the neighborhood or anything like that. So I totally get it. Um, that is really it. Pips. I'll have to remember that. <laughs> How do you find these people? How do you find Bob? How do you find Ahmed and Mustafa? Really people send us these stories to be honest um and because we have salespeople in every market so they hear about them there's right. an article written in an iowa magazine 
about Bob. Several people sent it to us, like people who, well, in fact, the guy who sits next to me at work, his mom sent it to him. She lives in Iowa, sent it to him. He handed it to me. Um, so we just, I guess, hear about him. We do go looking for them as well. Yeah, right. I imagine so. But it's nice when it just falls in your yeah. lap, sort of. And that Iowa Magazine, I would imagine, likely, probably wouldn't have seen the article if somebody had not sent it to you, obviously. And then we create some. I mean, our S'mores commercial is um, about we went to a neighborhood and we said we had heard this fact about how few neighbors know each other. And so we went to a neighborhood. We dropped a giant trailer in the neighborhood and put signs all over it. Um, And everyone came out of their houses. They're looking at it, whatever. And we had it motorized so that it would open up. And it was a giant s'mores station. Oh, wow. And everyone came together and met each other and made s'mores together. That's a cool moment. It was a cool moment. We were able to capture it, and um, it became our s'mores commercial. Wow. So that's really interesting, too, that experiential side to bring together the community. Obviously something that you could be amplifing as well. And we had our best s'mores season ever. Really? Mm -hmm. When is s'mores season? Because I would think it's more of a fall-winter thing. No, it's actually a summer thing. Oh, fire, I guess. But yeah. That's why I'm thinking campfires like campfires or yeah, outdoors. Campfire. But we've actually, to your point, we've extended it. So we um, this year we're extending it into um, football season. Uh, okay. We have a lot of recipes that are all going out via social uh, for doing it and tailgating on a barbecue grill. Yep. So you can just fold them up inside foil and you'll have a s'more. All right. Um, so we have extended the season and we did some pretty interesting targeting this year where we started running advertising based on the temperature. So if it oh. gets both too hot, we stop running our ads because right. people aren't going to make a fire in their backyard when it's super hot. Yeah, sure. And um, when it was too cold in certain markets or, or rainy, um, we didn't run our ads. So right. we really utilized our media spending wisely this year and spent only when we thought people would actually make some more. Got it. Right. Well, that makes sense, too. All right, so all of these these acts and moments, different things you've been doing over the last uh, two years since coming to the role have been really exciting, building the brand in that way. What, how do you foresee Hershey evolving as a brand over the next, I would say two years, but let's go more like four or five. Well, I think the big thing for Hershey is we've gotten our ship in order. You can see it in our stock price soaring right now. Um, we really focused on the core for the last two years, um, getting it strong and um, and healthy. Yeah. So I think the next looking forward, there are going to be a couple of things. I think we're going to uh, um, continue to grow into better for you and healthier options. I think there's a real need for that in the future. Um, and we'll do that on our core brands. One of the first things that we've done is thins with um, Reese's. And yep. It's been very successful. Um, it does fit some of the Weight Watchers profiles. Um, I think it's two to three points per thin. So, Interesting. Um, so I think we're looking at that because people want to enjoy sweets, but they want to do it responsibly. Right. Um, we also are working on some better for you chocolates. So I think that's in the future. Um, I think acquisitions are in the future as well. Um, it's not a forward looking statement. Right. Yeah. But, you know, you can see that we bought Skinny Pop. We're folding that in. We just uh, closed the deal on one bar. Um, so we're looking at uh, things that expand um, us expand from treats into more um, broadly snacking. Got it. Yeah, because the first thing I was wondering, and I imagine like any average Joe on the street might say Hershey and think the chocolate bar. 
there's much more to it, obviously. And especially as you move into these other categories yes. and other interests or, or, or dietary needs or desires, of course, there's plenty of space to go. Um, I remember, let's see, I haven't even looked for these in so long, but I feel it was like 10, 15 years ago, Hershey had, the only way I could say it is like basically like a, like a stack of Pringles. It was like a Pringle can, but it was chocolate. You remember what I'm talking about? Uh, they're... I don't even know. No, what, I I don't no, know this wondered. product. Well, what? Let's see then. Was uh, it a stack of chocolate? Yeah, kind of like if you can imagine, like literally, like how a Pringles, like a snack mm-hmm. size of Pringles would look. Except it was completely chocolate. I think it was completely chocolate. I never bought any, but I, I remember looking know. at them and being like, "Oh, Hershey's is innovating, that's for sure." Um, no, I didn't say that. I was like nine. I didn't know what innovating <laughs> meant. But uh, yeah, very interesting. What? Um, so, what are some of the new? What are some of the new uh, products that are that we that we can look forward to? Those you can tell me. Yeah, I can't really talk oh. about them. Um, there is a new product you can find in Walmart right now that's pretty fun. It's generating a lot of uh, buzz out there. Is a combo of Hershey and Whoppers. Um, we really? Yeah. I thought I thought you were about to say Hershey and Reese's, and I was like, well, I've seen that Hershey and Whopper. Yeah, well, we've done Hershey and Reese's pieces. Right. And that was very successful. Right. And um, uh, we currently have a bar out there. It's just starting to hit the street of Hershey with Whoppers in it. And there's Whoa. a lot of love out there, latent love out there for Whoppers. Yeah, I love like that sort of like the crisp. Exactly, you know what, the at, crunch. At Halloween, yeah. I, my favorite candy I was Whoppers were great, and I like all, also around like Easter. Like, can't tell you how many like embarrassing number of like basically milk cartons of Whoppers I bought. Um, <laughs> but uh, the because my grandfather loved them so much were Crackle. Oh. Well, it's funny that you bring that up. There is one of our uh, uh, creative leads at McGarry Bowen. His favorite bar is Crackle. And every single presentation they make to us, he puts a Crackle bar in the presentation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's a smart guy. He's got good taste. Um, got it. All right. So then let's move to advice. Because lots of people on this show, uh, on this show, listening to it are marketers are students of the craft and they aspire to be well, you essentially they aspire to rise to the helm of these great brands and they're either fortunate seriously and they're either they're either they're in fortune 500 brands right now and, and starting from the bottom or they're sole proprietors looking to build a personal brand many are interested in this sort of subject how do you become more authentic and everybody has different definitions of that and you do as well if you had to give an advice to say somebody mid-20s whatever starting out or maybe in their first couple years what advice would you give them even if they can't like shift how a brand thinks broadly maybe in the values that they hold to become a more authentic marketer and then later to build a more authentic brand what would you say oh man um that's a hard question it's a big one i leave it's a a whopper to use the phrase yeah it is um uh probably i'm gonna say this I think be more of what you are. So I think so many companies spend time on evaluations. You go to your your annual review and it sort of tells you what you could do better. And I would say um, if you can get, you know, you have to fix certain things, but if you can get to neutral on those negative things and then just plow into what you're good at. Like I just, you know, when I started doing more of what I was good at, and less of what I was bad at, I got much better. When was that around your, your career? Like, when would you say that, that turning point or that inflection point was? 
well, probably too late. I wish I'd done it sooner, <laughs> which is why I'm giving you that advice. Oh, um, but, you know, I would say maybe I was 35 before I did that. Got it. Yeah. So it takes, so, you know, I would say it takes then a little, a little while, but of course, once you get there, things work out much better, I would yeah. suppose. And just don't be afraid to do it. I feel like it, the system is set up to sort of wash out of you what you're really good at. Interesting. And I would say just spend a lot more time honing those skills, getting better and better and better at them. And that's what you'll get recognized for. And you'll gravitate towards jobs that have more of that in it. Got it. So like, Stan, do you think it's the risk aversion or just like fear of being foolish in front of peers or superiors? Or what? I mean, what do you think drives that question. washing out? I've never heard that. That's actually the first time I've heard that on this show. And I just, really, yeah. And it's probably the thing is it's probably much more pervasive. I feel that. Yeah, I, I, I think it's. Um, I mean, I think partly it is my age. I'm probably one of the older C- CMOS that you'll interview. Um, but I, I look back on my career and I do think that um, the the system, the way HR works, is that. Um, they sort of identify what your weaknesses are. They're going to fix them. And the truth is, we aren't going to really fix them. We are who we are. Right. And so I would say lean into who you are and lean into what you're really good at and you'll get recognized for it. Yeah, I would say so too. But I have to admit at times, like I, st- I also feel that um, that risk profile growing with, some, with a certain, you know, and whether you're in a large company or a small company, I felt it on both both sides. Yeah, I think you're right. I do think it's probably easier for me to say it sitting where I'm sitting. Um, I think there is risk to it. I yeah. shouldn't underestimate that. I think that's right. I think there is a risk to it. Um, but I think there's also a reality and truth to it. And people love so that. I think right. that you, you can try to be who you aren't, but it's not going to work. Right. When you, and I'm, I'll ask you a little bit more about this because I'm interested personally but when you started to experience that inflection point say around 35 did you experience more friction in your function than you expected or was it actually smoother than you thought once you started to I don't know come out come out of your shell but believe that you were being more true to yourself whatever because you know much of the fear is based on a perception that may or may not be there but I'm curious as to whether that was realized for you a little of both. Really? So when I think about it, that's a really good question. So I think for me, it was when I went from, I worked in an agency for 20 years, Leo Burnett. Yep. Um, and I went from account management to planning. So for years, Leo Burnett, I would hear that you support the creatives too much. Mm. You're too much of a creative sympathizer. Um, okay. You should be more supporting the client. Um. And so I would try to be that person. And one day a creative said to me, you are not an account person, you're a planner. And it was like a light bulb went off. Right. And um, it was the lead creative on the McDonald's account. She said, I want you to be my head of planning. And at this time I was a senior vice president at Leah Burnett. It's not like I had a small position. I had succeeded at account management. Right. Um, and I had at some point stopped caring that I was seen as a creative sympathizer. It didn't matter. I got really great creative work for my clients. So that's really all I cared about. Yeah. And, um, uh, and so 
that switch um, was both difficult and it was like coming home. So it was difficult because um, people were sort of mad at me. Both, it was interesting in planning. It was very tough because people are like, what do you know about planning? Mm -hmm. And in um, account management that I was rejecting them. And, right. uh, and ultimately I left Leo Burnett. And so I would say standing up for what I believe cost me probably my job. Um, but I ended up at Kraft and I went there because Dana Anderson respected my planning, respected my planning abilities, um, and my career took off then. Yeah, well, well, fantastic story there, obviously. And you know, even at the time, I'm sure it was like, well, this perhaps cost me a job or an opportunity or whatever. I mean, obviously, maybe wouldn't have landed where you are today, what you're doing now, the great things you've been doing over the last two years if it wasn't for that moment. And everybody probably has that moment. Yeah, I. I, I don't know that you know it's the moment when it's happening. <laughs> and I'm sure that's true, too. But, yes, I yeah, would agree. Right. Let's well, highly insightful. Um, listeners, you might be in that moment right now. Take it from Jill and, and stay true to these values. This advice that she's giving, it's great. All right, I'm going to close with a personal question. Just a personal question in regards to your taste. What's your favorite of all the Hershey products? Oh, Twizzler. Really? Yeah. I believe it or not, I'm not a, a chocolate person. Okay. I love all of our chewy products. So it probably says something about me, but I like Twizzlers. I like Milk Duds. Interesting. Um, yeah. And okay. I like Jolly Rancher, the chews. And I, I just like all of those the kinds chews. of products. Got it. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't had too many of the Jolly Rancher chews. Obviously, the hard candy a bunch. And as a child, Jolly Rancher was the pinnacle. Not necessarily because I like the candy the, mo the most, but as I believe at the time, it was the tallest height classification to get on the rides at Hershey Park. I'm pretty <laughs> sure if you were Jolly Rancher, it meant you could do everything. So that's very interesting. Mine is, just so you know, um, probably cookies and cream. I don't have it too much. Oh, cookies and cream. That means you're young at heart. Does it really? Mm-hmm. What other products say a certain thing about you that I should know? I'm also a fan of Big Cup, like that. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll admit, butter. Twizzlers, all the chewy products um, do relieve anxiety. Interesting. Now, mm -hmm. is that, I'm guessing, is that like probably physically the from chewing. the act of chewing? Yeah, it's like, the, it's it's like the act of chewing. It's like dress ball for your mouth. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's interesting, too. Twizzlers, my mother's favorite Hershey product as well. Is Twizzlers is, too? Is you Twizzlers, probably caused absolutely. her a lot of anxiety. Yeah, well, that's probably true. <laughs> no, she was, and she was really into the the the, the bites as well. I love was, those. Yeah, you like those are the chewier. longer ones better. I think they're chewier. Yeah, because I, I think I they're like a little them. like yeah. a little thicker, maybe. Mm -hmm. Exactly. How they're produced. So, anyway, all right, folks. Well, we're we're gonna when I post this out, why don't you tell me what your favorite uh, what your favorite is? Because apparently it says something about you. And. Uh, if you caused your parents anxiety like I did, no. <laughs> um, well, for this and, and for all the, the great insight that you provided, and especially towards the end, of that was really wonderful. Uh, Jill, thanks very much for joining the podcast today. You are today. so welcome. It was a fun, fun interview to do. Thank you so much to Jill Baskin from Hershey's for joining me on the show. That last part, I mean, really, that was probably my favorite of any show so far when it comes to advice and just getting to know somebody personally. So thank you for that. If you like this show, if you liked that part at the end, 
let me know. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Authentic Influence Podcast, also on LinkedIn. Leave a rating and review wherever you listen. Would love to hear that feedback. And if there's somebody else you'd like to hear me interview, maybe with great advice just like Jill, be sure to let me know that as well. Any feedback is helpful. I'm going to be back on Thursday with another great episode about how a top brand is becoming more authentic each and every day via their leader. And until then, and for Authentic Influence, I've been Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.